South American soccer an in-depth look at the action across the whole continent, providing you with a tactical, analytical and critical view supported by Pinnacle's unrivaled odds. This is South American Soccer Insights. Stage is set for the 2022 World Cup and the draw now complete. We look ahead to South American chances in Qatar along with some of the players to look out for. Plus, with the group phase well underway in both the Copa Libertadores and the Copa Sudamericana, we take a look at the early standouts there. As ever, I am joined by, uh, first of all, Simon Edwards. Yeah, no, thanks. Thanks. Yeah, good to be here again. Uh, looking forward to the World Cup. Copa Libertadores is underway, Copa Sudamericana, so lots and lots of interesting South American football happening. So looking forward to discussing today. Yeah, plenty of us to get stuck into. And thankfully, we're also joined again by Tom Robinson. Hi there, guys. Hope you're, you're both doing well. Looking forward to, to get in and plotting our route to an all South American final in Qatar. Well, you can't rule it out, certainly when we get onto the odds. that They certainly wouldn't rule out that either. But we will go probably to our favourites first. Um, as we look back at World Cup qualification, the team that were on top, one of the teams that were undefeated, um, and of course, thoroughly deserving of their place in Qatar. Um, we're of course talking about Brazil, dominant four years ago in qualification. It didn't work out for them in Russia. Will it go smoother this time round? Um, Simon, I mean, that, that's the big question with this Brazil side, isn't it? It's the end of the, the Chiche reign. He's already going to be leaving after this World Cup. But is this the one where they get things right and they carry the momentum from qualifying into a World Cup campaign? It will be interesting to see. I think um, Brazil have been so consistent. At times, we've kind of taken them for granted in their qualifying because I think the story has been the, the, the resurgence of Argentina as a force. But throughout qualifying, Brazil have been so, so good. What they have is a really strong, solid base. And now we see all of these great attacking forwards coming in. I think at the previous World Cup, one thing that stood out for me was Neymar trying to do a little bit too much at times. Now, if you're going to give a player all of the responsibility, you know, Neymar's not a bad shout, but it kind of felt we didn't always trust the guys around him in the big games. He was trying to do a little bit too much at times. Very impressive, of course, but I think this Brazilian side is starting to be a bit more balanced. I mean, wide forwards, they've got a huge amount of quality. Like Vinicius Jr. is there, Anthony, they've got a lot of options, Neymar. The question for me is who's going to be the number nine? Be interesting to go see who you would go for as a, as a starting striker, but. Uh, what they have is a very strong base, good midfield options. Casemiro is going to be key. Uh, the fullbacks are decent. There's a chance Dani Alves will still be there. And I, and I think he's a very high quality player. Obviously, not the youngest, but he's going to be an important part of the group. But I think what Brazil have is, is that real strong base, Casemiro in front. They have creativity in wide areas. But for me, the question is, who are the central defensive partnership? Marquinhos, I would say, probably is is likely to start. Uh, and then who goes alongside him? They've got some good options. And then Casemiro, and do you go for a defensive? Fred's obviously played a lot. So I think there's a few questions with Brazil, but I think they have plenty of answers as well. It's, it's, it's deciding which option they go for and if there'll be rotation during the tournament, depending on the opposition. But I think Chiche's got a strong base. He's got good ingredients. And now there's maybe two or three decisions still left to be made. Yeah, and certainly the, the options available to Chiche in that squad a tremendous and it's a very settled squad as well in terms of what we've seen over the course of the qualifying. A lot of the players, I think, will know that they're going to be in Qatar without an injury. Um, Tom, what, what do you feel as though Chichi will have learned from four years ago at Russia compared to what we've seen going through qualifying and then going into this tournament? Where do you see the sort of changes, the, the kind of tweaks that he's made to make them more of a contender this time around? Yeah, I mean, I think I agree with everything that Simon said there. I think that maybe the one big difference perhaps is the the rise of Lucas Paqueta as a, a midfielder who can actually link yeah, midfield or defence and an attack because they were really, you know, they had that solid base. That's always been a feature of Cheech's side, but I think it very much sometimes felt like they were putting six men behind the ball and then yeah, just hoping that three or four up front would create something out of out of nowhere. Certainly, you know, that was that was Neymar's role. I feel like now they've got a few players who can bring the side together a little bit more. I mean, even the emergence as well of someone like Bruno Guimaraes, who's doing 
fantastically in the Premier League. You, you could see him maybe force his way into contention because he's, again, a really good box-to-box midfielder who's got the, the physicality that Brazilians like, but also the, the technique and the engine to get up and down. So I feel like they're not going to be quite as attack and defence in the same team, but a more well-rounded team. And I, th- I think we were, we're all guilty of maybe not underestimating them, but just being a little bit tired and bored of them in for a lot of qualification because they didn't offer too much that was exciting. They were just grinding out the victories. But towards the end of qualifying, they really seemed to hit their stride again. They're putting the goals away. They're Again, they're bringing all these young players in. Anthony, as Simon mentioned, I think is going to be potentially one of the the breakouts that is going to really announce himself to a wider public. And someone like, even like Vinicius, who's now proving himself week in, week out as one of Real Madrid's best players. He could really, I mean, we all know about him, but for the maybe the casual fan, they probably don't know just how good he can be. So I think there's there's real reasons to to be positive about this Brazil side. And that's why, you know, Pinnacle have got them at 5.580 to win the whole thing. And if you look at their group as well, it's okay. Yes, there's some pretty familiar foes in in Switzerland and Serbia. Um, Played them in the last World Cup there. But you think there's enough to warm them up and challenge them without potentially leaving too many scars. So, you know, Brazil 1.384 to win their group, pretty comfortable favourites there. And they've got Serbia in the opener, 1.456 to beat them. So I, I think it's going to be enough of a challenge to, to to yeah get them ticking, get them purring, and yeah, I mean they've they're up there with the with the favourites or outright favourites for Pinnacle for a reason. So they're going to be the team to beat out of the South American sides. Yeah, Simon, we've looked at the odds and we see how strong a favourites Brazil are. Um, one of the things that people often look at when they're looking at the South American teams, back to the odds is what is the competition they're playing up against? And we've seen a thoroughly dominant Brazil in South America, which leads people to make that question, well, they haven't been playing maybe the top sides over the course of these four years, building up to a World Cup. How do you assess them as a, as a favourite, in inverted commas, going into a World Cup? Do you think you look at a team that does have the potential to go and win a World Cup and beat the very best Europe has to offer? Or do you still look at that as a slight question mark if they do come up in the knockout stages for example, against some of those big other favourites. Yeah, it's going to be it's going to be a different challenge, hundred um, percent. I think what we've seen from Brazil in qualifying is a team that's very, very, very professional, and at times that's been a you know from the neutral perspective a little bit frustrating. They they don't go for four or five goals in the first half and blow an, an opposition away. What they like to do is get a goal early, draw a little bit of pressure, let the other team kind of swing a few punches, and then hit them and, and knock them out with a two or three nil win. Is generally what happens with Brazil. Um, so, I mean, I think that's an approach that in many ways is well suited to tournament football. I think that obviously the concern is if when they sit back a little bit, they concede, then that can kind of change the game plan and that will require some adaption. And, and as you say, going against the stronger European sides, they'll face um, teams that are, you know, because I think South American World Cup qualifying hasn't been as strong this year, perhaps as previous years. But I'd say there aren't as many easy, easy games. So Brazil will have faced teams that are, are competitive, most of their fixtures. They would have faced some sort of challenge. There's not many Gibraltars or San Marinos in South American qualifying. But again, as you say, France is another level and, and France brings a whole level of threat. So it'll be very interesting. Um, but I do think what Brazil have is consistency and professionalism. I think the question will be when their backs are against the wall, when they're, when they're really being uh, facing forward to can match their defenders, then how will they respond to that? I think put them out and out favourites feels slightly generous, but I I would 100% say they're amongst the strongest teams in the tournament. Um, But as you say, it's going to be a very different challenge. Um, And I think the group stage won't tell us too much. Um, I think it will probably be more of the same um, in terms of what we've seen from Brazil. But there, as you say, getting to that that quarterfinal, to that knockout round, and then facing a European giant... Um, it will, I think as well, confidence will come into it. If they get that win against the big European side, then they can be off and running. Having kind of potentially cruised through the group stage, they get a big win in the next knockout round and then, and then we're, then we're in business. But I think confidence, 
will be a big part of this. We've seen Brazil in previous tournaments get a bit carried away. We saw in Brazil at times, you know, they got very emotional about things. I think that's something that Chiche's game plan is trying to avoid. Um, and obviously that's a big aspect of these knockout tournaments as well. So there's many, many factors, but basically Brazil have a really strong side, a good manager and a disciplined approach. So those three factors come together to make them one of the stronger contenders for this tournament, I think. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Tom, one of the teams to have got one over Brazil over recent months, years, is of course the other undefeated team from South American qualifying, Bring us on to Argentina, who also go into a World Cup, surprisingly within that group of favourites, if you will, um, which is astonishing when you consider where they were at the last World Cup. Um, how do you assess Argentina after, after their incredible World Cup qualifying process, given where they were then? Obviously, as well, in the middle of that, winning a Copa America as well, ending that almost 30-year hoodoo since '93 when they last won the Copa America. Do you genuinely look at Argentina then and now say, yeah, I think actually this is a team that could go and challenge for a World Cup again? Yeah, I, th I think it's it's testament to how far they've come in four years from that car crash of a team that was out there at 2018 to someone who I think genuinely we are saying can compete. I don't think we're saying that they will win it or they're among the top three or four. But you definitely have them among the, yeah, certainly top six teams in the in the tournament now. And I think fancifully we were talking about, well, maybe if Argentina do everything right, they can be back amongst the conversation. But I'd say they're a little bit more than that. They're, they're not just in the conversation. They are a genuine threat, as they've shown over the particular last two years. They've obviously, as you said, gotten that amazing unbeaten run. The mood in the camp is as good as I've ever seen it. It's, you know, I think expectations now are, um, are pretty high. Everyone's buzzing for the tournament. Maybe there's the, the worry, a little bit of, of overconfidence that could creep in now that they, they have gone on this great run and you kind of think all great runs have got to come to an end at some point. But yeah, I think there's a really good chance. My Maybe one um, sort of reservation with Argentina could be the fact that They've got a very strong spine, but you take one member out of that and I think suddenly the, the strength and depth in some of the positions is, is where you'd worry. You know, you take out Guti Romero and then suddenly you're looking at pinning all your hopes on Nicolas Otamendi to, um, to, to sort of take you to a World Cup final, which, you know, isn't going to be my my preference, if, I, if I'm honest. And, and I think if someone like Rodrigo de Paul, Messi, Lautaro, these guys, of course there's good replacements, but there's nowhere... No one who not only has the technical ability, but also that kind of that role within the team, that leadership role that I think can can drag them through. Yes, of course, you can find players that will plug the gaps, but are they going to quite bring what those other players uh, bring to the tournament? So um, I'm ve I'm very I'm cautiously optimistic. Um, I think it's it's reasonable to expect a semi-final as a, a decent tournament. Of course, if they get an unlucky draw, they could go out earlier and, you know, these are things you can't necessarily plan for, but they, I wouldn't put them among the favourites, but they're in that, that next level and, and they've got the game changers that can do it. So, yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to it and, and I definitely wouldn't be writing them off, that's for sure. No, I don't think many people will be given their incredible run of form. Um, they were obviously in Group C with Saudi Arabia, Mexico um, and Poland. Uh, Simon, Tom was just mentioning there are a number of the players who have really impressed for Argentina over the course of the last couple of years and have, and have become that, that spine of the team. Um, there's now a, much less of a reliance on Lionel Messi than we saw in the previous World Cup, leading up to that World Cup, going into the World Cup. Um, what do you, when you look at Argentina during this World Cup qualifying, where do you see those key differences in terms of what are the improvements they've made to the team that make them now among that group of challengers? Yeah, look, I think you start at the back and Martinez has been huge in goal, uh, not just for his quality as a goalkeeper, but yeah, you know him in the Copa America, I think he kind of really stepped forward as a, as a leader 
He's a real character. Um, he, he seems so polite and so unassuming initially when he was on the bench at Arsenal and, and he's really come through with his personality. And I think that leadership from the back has been really important. Obviously an excellent shot stopper, but you see his personality come forward. And, and I think that's a bit of what Argentina have been missing, you know, some leadership. You know, we saw throughout the years, Argentina in the 80s, the 90s, you know, some big characters, a lot of passion, a lot of, you know, gamesmanship at times, but just just a lot of personality. And, and we perhaps lost that a bit over the last few years. It's been give it to Messi and, and hope he does some magic. And it's Messi, Di Maria and, and you know, so a supporting cast at times. So I think the improvement's been incredible. I think um, also the fact that the World Cup is going to be played three, four months into the season in Europe will, will mean the likes of Messi potentially are a, 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 a in better condition, better shape. We probably will see the best possible Messi. Now, the question is, is the best possible Messi right now better than a Messi at 60% from the previous World Cup? Because um, I think at times, it, previously we've seen him drift out of games and then pop up here and there. Um, but I think one thing with Messi is, and you guys will have watched it closer than I have, but he doesn't have to drop to the halfway line to get the ball anymore. You know, it, it's not necessary. He doesn't have to do the creating and the scoring of the goals. Um, he trusts those around him. And there's other players who have stepped up and want to get on the ball and want to make things happen. I think that's been absolutely key. And then obviously you mentioned Romero coming into the defence because the defence at the last World Cup was was a shambles. I, I thought Argentina overachieved a little bit at the last World Cup given how poor they were in World Cup qualifying to get out of that group. I think I had some money on them not qualifying from the group. So don't. <laughs> I almost made that one. So don't, don't take my uh, suggestions too seriously. Um, but uh, but yeah, so I think... I think um, yeah, for me, Messi trusting those around him, Martinez taking a more leadership role in the back and getting the confidence of the defence, Romero coming in, and then those midfielders who you don't just have destroyers or passers, you have guys who can do both. And I think that makes Argentina much more complete. So it's been incredible, the rise of Argentina. And obviously, we don't want to see the team get carried away, but also momentum's a big factor. They haven't lost in, you guys can tell me, months I've lost track um, and they've won a Copa America they've won a tournament so everything has been going right now the question is when it goes wrong what happens but I think momentum and confidence is going to be an important factor uh, as we go into the end of the year yeah that record-breaking run going back now until the previous Copa America when they lost to Brazil in the semi-finals uh, now stretching what is it 30 games really is a remarkable feat even if you take it in the context of them playing largely just against other South American teams and is why we're talking about them with such high praise. Um, those are the two teams that obviously the standouts and have been thoroughly dominant throughout the qualifying process will go to the World Cup among that group of favourites. But we also have two, maybe three will come on to that possibility um, going to the World Cup. And that brings us into the team that finished third and had a very up and down qualifying process. Um, Tom, as we were going along, we were talking about Uruguay for long periods in, the, in a slightly concerned way, thinking despite having a, a good squad, a lot of good young players coming through, the old guard still there as well. Um, at one point, it did look as though their place going to a World Cup was slightly under risk. They made that decision late to change managers. They had a nice run in as well with the fixtures, which had to be taken into account but they got the wins that were needed, ended up third. Um, do you look at Uruguay then as a team that have now found their way a little bit and can be considered maybe a little bit stronger at the World Cup than they would have been had we been having a conversation a few months ago? Yeah, I, de I definitely give them a better chance now of performing at the World Cup. I think they had that, not just a new manager bounce, but a, a necessary change that was overdue you'd probably say that they could have done it earlier in the qualifying when they weren't finding themselves right up, back up against the wall, needing to pull the results out. But again, I, I mean, I think that Tavares still would have qualified for them for the World Cup. But I think under Alonso, there's just a lot more energy, youthful ideas, impetus coming in. I think there was the danger of if they carried on the same way, they would have just been, you know, there for a bit of a last hurrah for Suarez, Cavani and Godin without really ever threatening to do anything and, and maybe it being a bit of a sorry end to that amazing 
generations um, sort of time for the for, for the Uruguay squad. So I think now you actually look at it with particularly that midfield that feels like it's got a real burst of fresh energy with Valverde and Bentancur, absolutely central to to the team. And obviously the, the guys you're going to build the team around going forward, Araujo at the back as well, Darwin Nunez doing great, obviously on everyone's shopping list this summer. Um, so I think there's actually that process of renovation that they'd kind of done, albeit not quite getting it to click the sort of base experience level for for that team is, was there ready for them to kick on under the under the right guidance i suppose and they've got such an interesting world cup group as well i mean that game against ghana is going to be fiery as hell portugal as well there's some you know some leftovers from the last world cup there as well and and south korea is going to be an interesting clash of styles as well i mean definitely this is one of the groups that i'm most looking forward to it's the type of thing that you could see Uruguay topping or potentially if they have a bit of a mare, perhaps even missing out on that. They're, they're a side that could go, really could sort of be a thorn in, in the side of some of the big teams. But, you know, we've seen them have a bit of a soft centre at times. So they're a side that I don't think I know what to expect um, of as much as I ordinarily would do. But I think it's going to be, I mean, the, the group sets it up for a really fascinating one. I mean, they're 3.310 to win their group with with Pinnacle. Portugal, the favourites at 1.632 and then Ghana and South Korea behind. So, you know, the odds there with Pinnacle are favouring them to probably come second in that group. But again, you know, Portugal don't often always make it easy for themselves and they're, they're not always running away with it at the group stage in, in international tournaments. So, um, yeah, I think the fact that they're 52.00 to, to win the World Cup means it's it's unlikely they're going to go all the way. But I think they're, they're, they're the side that could go on a little bit of a run and um, I, I, I'm excited to, to see, you know, what, what happens there. I, I think it could be... Uh, if not the most successful one that's going to be packed full of storylines. Yeah, I mean, they are a little bit difficult to tell exactly what to, how, what to expect at the World Cup. But Simon, when you look at those odds and you see them as maybe second favourites behind Portugal in that group, do you look at Uruguay as a team that could potentially spring an upset at the World Cup, go through from a group and then go into the knockout phase as a side that perhaps could shock one of the favourites? Yeah, I think I think I could. I think there are still questions to be answered. Obviously, new managers come in and they've tried to inject some of this fresh energy and, and, and that's been, I think, long overdue because in previous tournaments, we've seen Uruguay basically as a team with two world-class strikers and two world-class central defenders and then some good, solid players in between, but those that's it. You know, you've got the two guys up front, two guys at the back and the guys in the middle trying to help out. Uh, and that's definitely not the case anymore. The midfield is, is high, high quality. And perhaps the question is, um, do you still play Godin? For me, that would be a really interesting one because our Rujo Barcelona defender is there and he's he's got more, more, more physicality, more pace than Godin. Godin brings the experience to the back line. I think if you play Godin, you probably have to sit a little bit deeper. And if what Uruguay wants to do is try to use the ball in midfield and try to use those midfielders. Do you really want the game so stretched? You know, previously when you had the team based around Suarez and uh, Cavani up front kind of interchanging, it was fine to have a deep defence and then leave them a lot of space to work with up front. But if your strength now, one of your key strengths is the midfield quality, you probably want to make it a bit more compact to get them all on the ball, working together, interchanging. So it'll be interesting to see if they play, they at times they played all three in, in central defence and, and gone three at the back uh, with wing backs. It'll be interesting to see what they do. But there's, I think, a lot of, you know, while Brazil, we know what we're going to get. Argentina, we pretty much know what we're going to get. Ecuador, we've got a decent idea. One or two decisions. I think Uruguay is a team still in evolution. And obviously, if things go well at the start of the World Cup, they're off to a flyer, then, then, then it could be a real interesting story. But I think Uruguay look better. And I think the exciting thing is there's still a lot more to come. But there's also a lot of hurdles in terms of decision-making, I think, for the manager. You probably can't play Suarez and Cavani up front. So what do you do? Do you play one of them? Do you play neither of them? You've got that. It's, it's, it's going to be interesting. It's going to be a story to follow, I think, with Uruguay in the friendlies and see what they're kind of starting to move towards. Because I think the manager's got plenty of options. 
But we've seen at times having too many options can be a problem and, and you can't quite get a one set identity. So be interesting to see, I think, with Uruguay. Lots of questions still to be answered, I think. Yeah, I think you make a very interesting point there. When you look at the other teams going, being very much settled under the coach that oversaw the qualifying with a core group of players that I think, barring injuries, they'll take to a World Cup. You don't say that about Uruguay. You do say that, Tom, largely about the team that finished in fourth, that, that will be more of a surprise package to many watching the World Cup this year in Ecuador. You mentioned so many of the players there for, for Uruguay, being household names, playing for some of those big European clubs. Obviously the case as well with Argentina and Brazil, less so with Ecuador. And yet, as we've been discussing over the last few months, thoroughly deserving of their place at the World Cup. Um, and maybe one of those teams that will surprise a few people, given the fact that there's not many household names in the team. But when they start watching them in the World Cup, will suddenly sit up and say, mm, hang on a second, maybe South American qualifying isn't as poor as maybe we thought from the outside, because these guys can actually play a bit. Yeah, 100%. I, while we might not know how Uruguay are going to line up, and we, we might have a better idea with Ecuador, I, I think the thing with them is we don't know which Ecuador we're going to see. Are we going to see the team that can blow you away in in one half of football or are we going to see the one that is inexperienced and makes the, the occasional error that can, that can really be costly at this level? So I think certainly from all the coverage that I've heard so far, Ecuador seem, I wouldn't even necessarily say underrated, but just a team that's overlooked. There hasn't been any real discussion about them of any any depth or any value. I think people are just thinking, oh yeah, um, you know, Netherlands and Senegal, they're, they're teams that we know well. Obviously, Senegal being the African champions and having Mane and um, some great players there would make you think that they're going to be favorites to go go through alongside the Netherlands but you know Netherlands are capable of a meltdown Senegal for for all their strength you know they can be quite defensive and, and not necessarily all out attacking and and it might actually benefit Ecuador to be the underdogs in both of those games and hit them on the counter as we know they can do so well Qatar obviously you'd like to think that Ecuador are a better side but obviously home advantage you know with all that that entails, um, can can obviously maybe make things a little bit more difficult than than it should be on paper. But certainly Ecuador, they've got like dark horse, you know, hipster tip written all over them, which could could be great. And I think they will catch a lot of people because people aren't really paying attention to them, even if it's just like, oh wow, Gonzalo Blatter's really quick and really fun to watch, um, or oh. Yeah, Moises Caicedo and Piero Inca Piera look like real good prospects. It might not necessarily mean they go further than the group stage, but I think they will at least catch people's attention. You know, they'll say, okay, yeah, this, this is a team to follow. Because this is a, you know, we've talked about teams in their revolution and, and their stages, you know, Brazil being pretty close to their complete, um, f- fully formed, you know, potentially World Cup winning side, Argentina on the up, getting there, Uruguay sort of going through a bit of a transition. Like this is, you know, still a very young and inexperienced side. And and there's so much prospect for Ecuadorian football going forward. Like this could just be the start. So I think it's going to be really interesting to see how they handle the pressure. We saw Peru struggle with that in the last World Cup, you know, and this, that could really affect these guys as well. But I'm really looking forward to seeing this group because I think it's not going to be as clear cut as a lot of people have it. And um, yeah, even if they crash out (laughs) with no points, I think it'll still be a fun ride. Yeah, I think anyone who's watched the South American qualifiers is probably along with you there, Tom, to say they're definitely a team to to watch in Qatar. Um, Simon, Tom mentioned there a number of the, the players to look out for who are all in that kind of under 21 bracket. Um, building on the success they've had at U20 level. So for those people that have maybe kept an eye on youth football in South America, it's less of a surprise to see maybe Ecuador now enjoying some success at senior level. But it is still largely based on a lot of those young players. What have you made of that evolution of Ecuadorian football in general that's now having that sort of success at senior level? As Tom hinted there, with sort of plenty of room still to come as well, given the age of these players. And, and what maybe do you see as still 
just lacking or maybe areas of concern in terms of that team at the World Cup? Yeah, you know, it's been an incredible rise. And I think with Ecuadorian football, it's about what we've seen is some of these clubs, obviously Independiente del Valle, a team that got to the Copa Libertadores final, Sudamericana champions, U20 Libertadores winners. That that club has the best, probably the best youth system in South American football right now. And and I think the way they have they've risen and used youth and used some international approaches, Spanish coaches, very international approach. I think that's been key in, in raising the overall level in Ecuador. And we've seen other clubs as well contributing with important players, Barcelona um, and a few others, Emelec, popping up with some good players as well. So I think it shows the potential of South American football, particularly, you know, Ecuador has, what we see with this Ecuador team is a team with great athletes, players who are very expressive, very creative, but also uh, increasingly disciplined and very collective as well. When they're, for me at the World Cup, what I'm hoping is we see the fun Ecuador. Often when they go behind, then, then they just absolutely blow the opposition away as well. We saw in that game against Brazil, um, where suddenly Brazil kind of got on top, they got the goal, and Ecuador just went at them and just completely, completely overwhelmed Brazil. And I think that's what this Ecuador team has the potential to do, is overwhelm these opposition. So I think that's going to be really fascinating. Um, and as you say, you know, Gonzalo Plata, an incredibly quick, creative winger, um, 20 years old. Uh, Moises Caicedo is just a complete midfielder. And Incapia in defence. So the, for me, the best three Ecuadorian players are 20, 21 years old. So that's going to be fascinating to see. I, I just hope I hope they play their, their, their most attractive football because what we see with South American national teams is they get so few competitive games against big European sides or big African sides in competitive fixtures. And from a Colombian perspective, um, obviously, you know, the very sad passing of Freddy Rincon. But that game against Germany in 1990 with Rincon's goal, that's, that's still a collective memory here in Colombia. That's still an iconic moment in Colombian football, a draw in the group stage playing some nice football against Germany. And then you've got the games um, that they played against. You know, they've played so few Eng- uh, European teams, England a couple of games here, 2014 World Cup. So I just hope Ecuador use this tournament to make a mark on the world in terms of with their football. Because I think they could they could be, you know, the way Colombia emerged in 2014 is a really fun exciting side I think this Ecuador team could re- reproduce some of that and I think it could be you know it's the team I'm most looking forward to following at the tournament Colombia aren't there so I'm most looking forward to following Ecuador because I think as you say they could really really become the neutrals favorite but I think they can play some really good football and it'll be the balance of Alfaro who we thought would come in and be very cautious um, and I think he's found the right balance of reining in these guys a little bit um, but still allowing them to be expressive. So I think that for me is the big question of Ecuador is how will they go full Ecuador? Um, and is that going to be a good thing or a bad thing? Yeah, certainly. Um, just finally on that, one thing I, I look at that team and I see so many of those young players um, across the pitch and, and actually providing quite a decent spine when you mention a really good centre-back in Inkpay, Moises Caicedo in midfield. The only thing I feel is that there's lacking from that group of really good young players is, is a really outstanding young striker to, at the moment, go into that team. And I think if they had that, for example, if Leonardo Campana had kicked on from that U20 team, obviously playing in MLS again now and scoring goals, but if he had reached the level of those others, then we re- I think you really would be looking at that Ecuador as significant dark horses. For me, that's the one thing at the moment that maybe holds them back a little because you're looking at Enna Valencia still hanging around, not being the player he was. And I just wonder if they had someone like that with Pla- with the pace of Plata, yeah. for example, providing... And the full-backs game forward. There's so much good service, but yeah. it's Michael Estrada and it's Enna Valencia yeah. and it's not quite the same level. Hey, yeah, Jordi Caicedo is banging them in in Bulgaria right now. So you, you never know. But I, I think, you know, so much is going to hinge on that first game against uh, Qatar like they're 2.120 to win um that game with um with Pinnacle there you know narrow favorites in in the betting odds there but like imagine if they get that win you know straight away they're on three points you've got Netherlands and Senegal which could go either way or they could draw that's then going to give them the confidence to say 
hey, you know, we, we can we can do this now. I mean, or it could massively deflate them if they lose it. And then that's the tournament as good as over. I think so much is going to hinge on that. But like the thing that is giving me a bit more confidence is you're seeing them export more and more players now. Like obviously we've talked about some of the the big names, but like even if you look at players like Pervis Estupinian, you know, Preciado as well, um, even you know, players who, you know, might not get in the squad this time around, but they go into Europe, maybe some of the second, third tier leagues, they're going to more and more going to the, the uh, to MLS as well. I think there's that growing appreciation of those players coming through and, and just generally they're, they're getting that more rounded tactical and understanding of playing in different scenarios. So that's all got a bode well for them and yeah and I think it's going to be you know it's definitely going to catch some people by surprise and and it's it's going to be hopefully 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 a fun ride yeah well there are we're playing Qatar on the opening day of the World Cup so if you're not familiar with Ecuador then certainly as we've all expressed one of the teams to keep an eye on and don't be uh, surprised if you're caught by unawares on that opening day um the half team that we mentioned before, of course, Peru, who finished fifth, they completed that come-from-behind World Cup qualifying process to snatch that playoff spot. Um, they have their qualifier, their playoff to play still against either the UAE or Australia, which will be played, I think, in June. Um, I guess confidence is probably there from Peru that they will be able to come through that playoff and take their place in a World Cup, a World Cup which has some familiar foes for them if they do get there in Group D with France, Denmark and Tunisia. Um, but Simon, for the team that are coming through the playoffs, do you, do you look at Peru as they did four years ago, of course, and think they're there more to for the celebration, they've made it to the World Cup, or do you look at Peru as, you know, they, they came on strong after that awful start and maybe with that bit of momentum could cause an upset in um, Qatar? Yeah, look, I think this is a Peru that is probably a bit more limited. Um, but what they have is the experience that, you know, the coach has been there for years and years and has done a really, really good job. Um, Tapia, Yotun is fine. Um, they've got some creativity. Cueva, again, isn't consistently the player. I think he can be in moments, but he's, he's a creative player, a talented player. Lapadula up top, you know, who's a, a, an Italian who who is become a Peruvian national team player. He kind of gives them a bit more energy, obviously with Paulo Guerrero um, coming to the end of his career. I think that's a, a, an important and useful addition. Uh, they have fullbacks who get forward in Trauco and Avincula. It's it's a Peru that is, is solid, um, has some decent players out wide and kind of a bustling striker who will put himself about and give some defenders headaches. But they're not that much more than that. You know, with with Ecuador, I think the ceiling is very, very high. And they there's a decent chance they won't get anywhere near it. But I think the potential is really there to, to put on a massive show. I think Peru's ceiling is be competitive and with a bit of luck out of the group. Um, I, I think, but I think they're more likely to get closer to their best. If you know what I mean? I think they'll, they've shown, particularly in the final qualifiers, that they have great spirit. Um, that they can take their chances in key moments, that they can get the job done, which is is a useful um, a useful quality, particularly with this first playoff because we don't even know if they'll be there yet. And I think that's going to be a huge, huge ask as well. I think they can get through, but it will be tough. But I think they'll be underdogs in this group. Um, I, you know, I think they'll fancy themselves potentially against Tunisia. Um, which is going to be the second game. They kick off against France, so it's, it's going to be a big, big occasion if they get to the group. They'll have a big occasion against France, and then they'll really need to win against Tunisia, and then potentially it comes down to that game against Denmark. So, look, they're going to enjoy it. They're playing <laughs> possibly the best team in the world um, in France. They're playing a very, very strong Danish side. They're going to have a, a great experience if they get it get through to that World Cup. And then they'll need to beat Tunisia and then just hope for the very best. I think they're somewhat limited, but I think that they're organized, they're committed. The manager knows what he's doing. The players are all 100% bought in and behind the manager. So 
they could they could surprise by getting out of the group, but I don't think they're going to find any of these games particularly easily easy. Um, but uh, you know, we'll see we'll see what they can do. Uh, I think there's not a huge amount of great talent in Peru at the moment, uh, and I do really think the manager's getting the best of what he has. So we'll have to see. Um, but I think the ceiling's lower. But we shall see. We shall see. Yeah, I mean, Ricardo Goreca, regardless of what happens at the World Cup, has done a fantastic job with Peru, considering they're on the verge of going back to a World Cup. But uh, Tom, do you, I mean, do you share that sort of slightly pessimistic outlook for Peru at the World Cup? Should they just be happy to be there celebrating, which of course they will enjoy themselves at the World Cup? Or do you see them maybe having aspirations of causing a bit of a shock? I'd probably say it's more realistic than than pessimistic there. But um, yeah, I, I think they, certainly they won't be just making up the numbers. They're not just, you know, competition winners there to, you know, have a cool kit and, you know, run around a bit. But I think, yeah, they're, they're a side that will be competitive, but especially if you compare it to the, the group they had last time with obviously France and Denmark, this is a better Denmark team. I think that is the, the crucial thing there. This is a, you know, one of the best teams in Europe um, at, at the moment. So they're going to, they're really going to struggle. The fact they've got Tunisia second is, yeah, is good because if they can win that. They can at least set up some jeopardy for that final game, give themselves something to fight for. Um, whereas if, you know, like last time, it was a bit of a dead rubber at the end there. And, you know, it was, yeah, it, it was a, it was a bit of a damp squib for them. I think this time with that extra experience, as we've talked about, they're going to be better prepared for it. Um, I, I'd struggle to see them getting out of the group, but stranger things have happened. They've got a very good manager. You know, Tapia is a great player. If Quaver's on it, then he is. You know, the 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 little Modric um, of uh, of South America. Um, so you never know. You never know. Yeah, well, they still have to get them through that playoff first. So keep your eyes peeled in June for that one. Um, but before we leave the World Cup conversation, we will just maybe highlight some of our players to keep a lookout for in Qatar from South America, of course. So I'll come to you first, Simon, um, in terms of who are you kind of keeping tabs on ahead of the World Cup? Yeah, for me, look, I mean, it might sound like the easiest and obvious one, but for me, Moises Caicedo, Gonzalo Plata, uh, Incapié for, for Ecuador. I think they're going to go into the tournament relatively unknown. Uh, Moises is now getting some minutes to, at Brighton. Um, but I think they could be January transfer window. They could be 60, 50, 60 million pound players by that point, if they have a good world cup, because I think they're, they're, they're still very young. Um, and the, for me, those three immediately grab the attention and I can't wait to see, uh, which maybe you get two of those comes out of it as a superstar. You know, you can see Real Madrid playing, paying stupid money for, Gonzalo Plata because he's had an amazing tournament. You know, we, we see sometimes at the World Cup, there's one guy, this one young player who suddenly becomes a superstar. And I think one of those three Ecuadorians, if they do well in the group stage, could jump to that level very quickly, perhaps slightly prematurely. But I think they're all very, very talented players who are incredibly young to be playing at a, at a World Cup. So for me, one of those three could, could emerge as a kind of a most wanted man in Europe when it comes to the January transfer window. Yeah, it's certainly interesting to see Moises Caicedo now getting some decent minutes in the Premier League and catching the eye with his performance of late. Um, and interesting to see Graham Potter as well talk about the fact that they, they probably did hold him back a little too long, if anything, in, in terms of waiting for him to really get that kind of exposure, but straight into the team there with Brighton and playing at a very high level. Um, and Tom, what about you? Where, where are you looking for the sort of maybe unknown stars of the World Cup? Yeah, I think it's, it's always hard to pick out an unknown player because you could say someone like uh, Ugarte for Uruguay if he gets into the squad or, you know, you can pick out these players who fundamentally you know, there aren't unknown, unknown players <laughs> out there anymore. So you often pick out these players and then they don't get many minutes and you think, oh, why do I go for that? I, I think sometimes you you underestimate, you know, when it comes to the global audience, like all of us who follow football and watch football, we're very up to date with, with these names and, and players you think, oh yeah, surely everyone knows who Fede Valverde is, but like there'll probably be a large part of the world that doesn't. And I think... They're the type of level of players that I'm looking at more of 
going to that trans transcending to that next level of um their their image like a bit like hammers um in in 2014 you know obviously known about for ages but then just becomes this global superstar i think you're looking at the yeah the fede valverdes of this world um you know as we mentioned vinicius paqueta you know good name you know huge names playing for massive clubs already ronald araujo could be another one that that people may maybe aren't as aware of even though he's playing for a huge club so i mean they feel like obvious answers um but i think the other players that i i'm uh, that i'm maybe more interested in is again someone like Rodrigo de Paul. I think people could realize why he is so highly rated and so loved in Argentina because he's maybe not the sexiest name on that Argentina list, but he's so good to watch. And I think he's he's the type could that could really be like, oh yeah, he yeah he's a proper good player. Um, other than that, I would maybe say Sergio Rochette, the Uruguay. Uh, probably going to be number one. Um, big, big chance for him to to maybe stake a name for his, himself, and you know could well be busy. Maybe even someone like um, Galese, if if Peru get there in goal, he's he's going to be busy, and he's he's always impressed me as as a keeper who I think you know could get a maybe a move to to, to Europe out of uh, out of MLS. So yeah, maybe a couple of those goalkeepers as well could be could be ones to catch the eye. Yeah, I mean, I think you make a good point there in terms of you go and pick some of these young players, even if they make the squad, they might not get too many minutes. You mentioned Ugarte there, an outstanding midfield option maybe for the future for Uruguay. But as when we were talking about Uruguay, you mentioned that midfield. It's unlikely that he's going to break his way into there before a World Cup. I think similarly, when you look at that Argentina squad, Julian Alvarez has already sealed his move to Manchester Mm. City is in with a very good shout of being part of Scaloni's squad. Given his versatility in that attacking area, whether he plays as a central striker, shown that he can drift out wide and do a lot of different roles. But is he going to be a starting 11 player for Argentina? Certainly not at this point. If you were, if the World Cup was starting tomorrow, he might be in the squad, but he's going to get minutes here and there at the end of games, maybe in the group stage. Um Enzo Fernandez, maybe. <laughs> yeah, I think he's the he's the other name in Argentina. The one certainly in Argentina they're talking about that saying Enzo Fernandez is the guy that could go to a World Cup at the moment. He's just outside the squad, given his level that he's performing at, at River. A lot of people are saying Enzo Fernandez is going to be on the plane to Qatar, um, so he might be one of those players that fits into the bracket of if he does get into a World Cup squad, even if he doesn't play that much could be the thing, if it hasn't happened already, that makes him get that move, a big, big move to Europe. So um, that's certainly someone to keep an eye on. I think when we were talking about a lot of the teams, we mentioned some of those players as well. Anthony at Brazil, um, one of those guys that maybe not had that big, big move yet. Um, but of course, he, he may well get that move before a World Cup with Eric Ten Hag making that move to Manchester United. Um wouldn't be that much of a surprise to see him make a move to Manchester United for quite big money in the summer before the World Cup. We will see. Anyway, enough World Cup chit-chat. We've got time left to look, of course, at the two major competitions in South American club football, um, starting, of course, with the Commonwealth Libertadores, which is two games deep in the group phase. Um, Simon, we talked before when we were looking at the qualifying rounds of this year's Libertadores, of who the favourites were. And of course, we were looking at the big boys from Brazil. We were looking at River. And when we look at the two group games that have been played, or the two rounds in the group stage so far, that's kind of shown again. Palmeiras have scored an absolute shed load of goals, won both their games. Flamengo haven't been quite as explosive, but have won both their games. Um, and River Plate, the other team that have won both games. We'll come on to the other one in just a moment. Um, but when we're talking about those favourites, are you still looking at the group phase so far and saying, yeah, I'm still looking at those big boys as the challenges for the tournament? Yeah, you know, we, we expected the Brazilian teams to do well and they've so far done well. <laughs> um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, Palmeiras, after two games, they've got a striker with uh, six goals. It's not, it's not a bad start to a Copa Libertadores. So yeah, 100% uh, very impressive. Palmeiras, top of Group A. Uh, we've seen, you know, Flamengo as well, one of the, the other sides that's been competing for this title in recent years. The Brazilian sides are looking really, really strong, 100%. Um, 
Uh, and I think what what we've seen recently is is not only the incredible talent, the superior financial resources, and now some good managers and some kind of more complete ideas and game management, using the ball a little bit better. Uh, we've seen all that coming together to make these these Brazilian sides really, really strong and really uh, dominant in many ways in, the, in their in their group, the, particularly the big ones, as you mentioned, Flamengo uh, at the top, Palmeiras looking very, very strong. Um, and also, you know, River Plate doing very, very well as well. Tom, what about this River Plate side? Um, the group isn't perhaps the trickiest one, but uh, how are they looking this year as potential winners? Yeah, I mean, they've, they've been impressive. I, I think they've got, okay, it's maybe not the hardest group, but it's certainly not as easy as Palmeiras' group. So I don't think there's too much you can read into Palmeiras' performance right now because they're just, yeah, flat track bullies at the moment. Um, no, I've, I've been impressed with with uh, River. They've they've got the job done. They maybe not have quite hit full stride yet. You know, not not the most, you know, free, free scoring, but they've got so many options. That's the difference with them this year. They've just got plenty of different players they can bring in take out they're doing pretty well in the league you know not necessarily the running away with it by any stretch of the imagination but they're they're staying there competitive in both competitions Enzo Fernandez as we've already mentioned is is on a different level to everyone else in Argentina right now he's beautiful goal um well two beautiful goals in in their last game there against Fortaleza um, so yeah, they're doing well and they're, they're doing everything they need to at the moment. Six points from two games, you know, them and, and Colo Colo, I'm sure we'll come on to, to discuss in a moment, uh, already put some distance between themselves, um, and, and the other teams in the group there. So yeah, it's, it's too early to really, um, assess their chances of going all the way, but they're certainly looking in better Nick than any of the other Argentinian sides, Maybe with the Estudiantes throwing their name in the in the hat there as a, as a side that are maybe punching above their weight, but yeah, River looking good. Certainly out of the Argentinians, the the only ones who look capable of cha- uh, challenging the Brazilian dominance. Yeah, safe to say that is the case at this point, and we'll come on to one of those teams as Simon will uh, no doubt relish talking about one of the victors from that group. Before we come on to that, though. Um, Tom, you mentioned there, of course, in Rivers Group, um, the other team that have won two from two, which is somewhat more surprising, um, is Colo Colo. So their man River now looking pretty good in that group, even after only two group games because of the fact they've got six points, the others on zero. Um, The reason perhaps it's probably a bit more surprising is given how poorly Chilean clubs have performed in continental competitions in recent years. Universidad Católica have been the dominant force domestically. They haven't been able to carry that through really into the Libertadores. And yet here we are seeing Colo Colo win two from two and put themselves early on in a good position to reach the knockout phases. Um, Simon, have you been impressed by them? Do you do you think it's a bit of a flash in the pan? Do you think they can go on and cause a bit of an upset in this year's Libertadores? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a, it's definitely a very strong start, particularly uh, in that opening game going away to Brazil and getting a, getting a win. You know, we've spoken about how strong the Brazilian sides are. So that really is, um, you know, a statement to kind of get things up and running with a 2-1 win away in Brazil. Uh, and then Alianza Lima, um, win at home. Again, um, perhaps not the strongest of rivals in the, in the competition, but again, two wins out of two is excellent start. Um, I think they'll probably find it very difficult against River Plate um, coming up. But... As you say, six points, six points clear of what are probably their rivals in Alianza and Fortaleza. They're looking in a very, very strong position to go through. Now, obviously, it's going to come down to what happens in the next couple of games. Uh, who emerges as their rival between Alianza and Fortaleza um, in the next couple of games? But um, it will be interesting to see. But so far, so good for for Colo Colo and um, some positive signs. You know, we've seen the the narrative with Chilean football for a while has been. Uh, they had a great generation and that's coming to an end and now what? So I think it's really important, not only obviously Colo Colo will be delighted to be to be in a strong position to potentially get out of the group, but also it, it, that, that inspires more faith in the national team and that brings through more players in the future. I think it's important to have a, a strong club game to kind of underpin that, that whole process. So some positive Chilean news, I think is definitely very welcome and uh, 
to see Colo Colo, a giant club in South America, doing well in the group is, I think, it's good for for the competition as well. So, yeah, happy to see them make a good start. Uh, they'll be really tested against River. If they put on a decent display there, then we can look at a potential knockout rounds uh, for for Colo Colo, which would be which would be great. Yeah, I mean, it's always nice when we get to the knockout phases just to see any teams from other countries other than uh, Brazil and Argentina. Um, so the more the merrier there. Um, before we come back to you, Simon, with that, then we will talk about the Brazilians because we've already talked there about Palmeiras and Flamengo starting very well. The others, you know, have had a few uh, minor hiccups but are still in contention. Um, so, Tom, how do you assess so far? I mean, we've got Paranaense in Group B, on four points, still undefeated, level at the top there with Libertad, um, Red Bull, Bragancino, level on points with the Estudiantes at the top of their group, the two Mineros in Group D battling it away with, with Independiente del Valle. Um, Corinthians have started pretty badly, um, suffering that defeat against Always Ready, but have responded. So wh- where do you assess the other Brazilian teams? And do you think we could have such a strong field of Brazilian clubs going into the knockout phase? I think we're still going to have a fairly sizable contingent of Brazilians. Um, I mean, Mineiro, obviously, I think the other ones who put in that bracket of favourites, they're maybe being not quite as impressive as uh, the likes of Flamengo and Palmeiras, but that could speak to the the strength and depth of that group. Um, you know, Independiente del Valle, benefiting from their experience now in the tournament, maybe getting a bit savvy. Um, Tolima showing that they're not they're no pushovers either. And yeah, I think Mineiro will be disappointed they didn't get the win against uh, America Mineiro, but there was just that absolute wonder goal, which you, you can't really do to, too much about. So they'll certainly, they still certainly have work to do before they're going to put themselves among that tag of favourites. Brangantino in a really tight group, um, Again, I thought they were a little bit lucky against Velez to end up 2-2 in that game. But four points, you know, you can't say fairer than that. Italo doing very well, scoring goals. I think Corinthians, yeah, could be under a little bit of pressure there. That that Group E where everyone's on three points, you could either easily see one of Boca and Corinthians having a bit of a mare and a, and a big team going out there. It's obviously always ready, you think, yeah, they could quite easily win all their home games there at altitude and and then Cali throwing that spanner in the works that I'm sure Simon will, will speak about in a, in, a, in a moment. But um, yeah, I, I think they're all looking in fine positions to go through. Paranaense, lucky that they've got a quite a winnable and and fairly dull <laughs> group, if, if I'm honest. I mean, it's pretty even, but there's not much to get excited about in Group B. So I think they'll be quite happy that they ended up in there. But yeah, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised to see, I think, America Mineiro, the obvious ones who look like they aren't going to get through. But other than that, you know, you might see someone potentially drop out. But at this stage, there's certainly no alarm bells ringing just yet. No, so may well still see a very strong Brazilian field. The Argentinian field might be a little bit weaker. As Tom just said there, you look at that group with Boca Juniors and Corinthians in it, the possibility of an upset, given those were the two teams that people looked at the draw and thought Brazilian and Argentinian club will go through. Um, Boca have continued that shaky form domestically, all the talk, certainly over the future of their manager, Sebastian Battaglia at the moment. He's going to vow to stay on and, and fight for his position, but he seems to be one bad result away from, from getting the boot at Boca, whether that comes in the league or in the Libertadores. Um, and potentially, of course, the, the beneficiaries of that in that group could well be Deportivo Cali, who picked up that win against Boca in the opening game, 2-0 in Colombia. Um, as a result, that's why all four teams in Group B have three points um, now, Simon, I know you've been waiting for this moment, so <laughs> let's talk a little bit about Deportivo Cali and can they be the team to cause that surprise in the group? Um, I, I would have said no. I, I probably did say no quite a few times. <laughs> Talking down for Cali, um, but they've, they've uh, shut me up. Oh, well, they haven't, but uh, I'm happy for them. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think so far a good start. Now, obviously, I think conceding that goal and losing in Corinthians in a game where they were very much in it. It kind of fell apart a little bit. They kind of lost a little bit of that organisation in the last 30 minutes, which was probably the reason they didn't 
not only come back from Brazil with something potentially, but also it's put Corinthians right back on their right back into contention and leveled up that group. So I think they'll be disappointed with that. The next game they're going to to the altitude of Bolivia. Uh, that will be a massive test. Uh, playing always ready. Uh, up there, which is even higher than La Paz. Um, so best of luck with that one then, lads. Um, in terms of Cali, look, they they league champions last season. They've been terrible for most of this season in the Colombian League. Third, fourth, bottom, I think. They, they picked up a little bit. Um, they've got some good quality players. They have done incredibly well. Uh, I don't feel massively confident, but uh, there's going to be a, a lift, a massive lift. Um, from that result against Boca Juniors, that's going to be a memorable result for the for the fans, and they're just going to hope if they can k- take something back from Bolivia, then they've got a home game against Corinthians, which again, having been very competitive away in Brazil, they might feel they've got a decent chance at home having beaten Boca Juniors. So we'll see. I, I still think qualification for Deportivo Cali is very much an outside bet, and and Sudamericana is probably more realistic, but. If you can beat Boca Juniors, uh, a South American giant, then you have every right to believe, and uh, we'll see what happens. They're they're in they're in with the um with a shout. Yeah, absolutely, they are. And, and Libertadores kicks back off again this week. We had that week off as we record. The next two weeks, you feel we'll we'll certainly get a better idea of all the groups at the moment. Largely, they're all very wide open. The next two results is when you're going to start to see which teams we really think are going to be going through critical for the likes of Deportivo Cali and across most of the other groups, apart from those teams that have picked up a couple of wins, as we've already said. Um, the other competition, of course, that runs alongside the Libertadores, nice little segue into it because Simon just mentioned that Deportivo Cali could end up finishing third, of course, and there's still that prize of going into the Copa Sudamericana, which is also two games into the group phase. Um, the Sudamericana, of course, as a reminder, a little bit more competitive in the group phase. In a sense, the teams aren't obviously as good as the Libertadores, but only the winners um, progress. So it makes it hugely important picking up wins in that competition. Draws largely don't really help teams. Um, Tom, I mean, when you're looking at the group so far, I mean, what do you, what's really stood out for you? Who are you looking at and saying early on that could be a team that could go all the way in the Sudamericana? Well, it's hard to look past uh, uh, Racing at the moment, going really well there. Six points from their two games, playing good football, winning under Gargo as well. He's he's not only got the, the performances, but he's got the results to match now. And I think it's, what, 10, ga- 10 wins in a row in, in all competitions, unbeaten in um, 15 games, unbeaten this year. So they're looking like a team that could really, really do something this year. Um, as much as I'm sure you're loath to hear that, Peter. Um, but um, yeah, other than that, Sao Paulo, obviously doing well. Arboleda with a couple of goals and some interesting young midfield prospects there. Um, and yeah, and a couple of couple of surprise teams, um, Sierra and, and Atletico Goinense. <laughs> I've probably murdered that pronunciation. But, uh, you know, it's not often that you think that the ninth and eleventh best team from uh, the Brazilian league are, are ones to get too excited about, but you know it's uh, credit to them; they're doing well, and um, certainly didn't see expect to see them with a hundred percent record so far as well. So, yeah, definitely interesting. And and other than that, you know, Junior doing very well. But I'll, I'll let Simon take the floor for that one. <laughs> well, yeah, no, nice to see Junior doing well. Uh, obviously, they've had a bit of a history in the Sudamericana in recent years. They're a giant club. Um, they're a club in terms of quality who's probably potentially the strongest in Colombia and they're in this secondary competition. So naturally they're kind of contenders and obviously winning 3-0 against Fluminense in the last round, uh, having drawn away against Union in the first game, sets them up as top of uh, Group H. Uh, so, you know, there's two Colombian teams top of their groups, although Independiente will now face Internacional, which uh, is going to be a real test. They did win uh, their first two. Uh, they won and they drew in their opening games. They've got a couple of interesting young players there, um, Independiente Medellin. So, you know, there's a couple of interesting Colombian stories to follow as well. Uh, but largely, we've seen, you know, again, uh, there's a few. Uh, Sao Paulo is again is a team worth mentioning. Uh, obviously, a giant club with incredible resources. Uh, they've got two wins out of two in Group uh, in Group D and looking very very confident there as well. So, 
Uh, again, we've seen quite a lot of strong Argentine and Brazilian presence. Lanús at the top in uh, Group A with four points as well. Um, but yeah, it's, it's an interesting competition, the Sudamericana. And as you say, because only one team progresses from the group, every game really is important and teams aren't playing for draws in the way they may perhaps do uh, away from home in the Libertadores. So definitely is quite an interesting uh, secondary option as well if you want some South American football. Yeah, well, certainly, again, like the Libertadores, I think we'll find out a lot more about those groups over the next two weeks as play resumes. A lot of teams in slightly worrying positions, perhaps. Um, before we leave them, we'll just talk about that. Um, when you look at Tom, Barcelona of Ecuador, last year's semi-finalists um, in the Libertadores, they're second in their group after losing to Lanús. Santos of Brazil are second in their group, having lost to Banfield on the opening day, which is something of a surprise. And then, of course, Independiente um, and Defensa Justicia, two of the teams from Argentina. Independiente more historically than anything else. Defensa Justicia in the present being one of the, the very good teams, but both with plenty of work to do. So potential there for some surprises maybe in not qualifying for the next stage in the, in the Sudamericana. Yeah, it's a cutthroat group stage. So there's, there's going to be some big teams that, that miss out there. But, you know, it's it's early days with these, these uh, group stages still. I, I think that, you know, the likes of defence and Independiente have, have got enough to to get back up there. Certainly, defence are the way they've been been playing. I, I think they're good enough to to get out of their group. And and you know, I, th- I think as well, Internacional of Brazil, another one that you'd be looking at and being a bit shocked at them not doing quite as well as as you would have expected. You know, so there's 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 big teams all over the place, and um, it's yeah, it's certainly an exciting competition. I mean. Yeah, Simon calling it the secondary competition there. I, I think, you know, for a lot of people, it, it, it c- could be competing with the top one in terms of entertainment and drama. So, um, yeah, let's let's not disrespect the Sudamericana, Simon, por favor. No, 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 come on. I want some Colombian glory. I, I'm all in for the Copa. That's the real quiz, the Copa <laughs> Sudamericana. It's certainly the hipster's choice in uh, South American football. If you really want to get your fix, uh Tuesday, Wednesday and Thursdays, then it's the, the Sudamericana all the way. But we've uh, run over our usual target of one hour uh, as we've gone through a huge amount here. Um, so we will wrap it up there. But um, as ever, uh, Simon, thank you for your input. Um, and hopefully we'll be back again next month for even more. Yeah, look forward to it. Yeah, thank you very much. Enjoyable. And it's got me excited about the World Cup. So lots of, lots of interesting, exciting football to look forward to this year. So yeah, thank you guys for for inviting me to join again. Cheers, Simon. And also thanks, Tom, as ever. Cheers. Thank you very much, guys. And uh, yeah, looking forward to the the Libertadores and Sud America hotting up and getting right into that next time. Yeah, certainly. If you are getting excited for the World Cup between now and November, there is plenty of more to keep you occupied starting uh, next week with the, the Libertadores getting back up and running again so be sure to watch that and next month as Tom just said there I'm sure we will be looking back on some well more or less getting towards the end of the group phase and we'll be knowing exactly who we'll be looking out for in the knockout phase um, until then thank you for listening and we'll be back soon you can find all the latest odds um, and betting insight on pinnacle.com plus plenty of content on at pinnacle on their twitter and pinnacle.betting on Instagram with plenty of other sports as well coming your way. Please gamble responsibly. The odds mentioned in this episode were correct at the time of recording, so be sure to go to pinnacle.com to get the latest.